0: This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, our weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long, to talk about what he's been working on this week for RFA and Banar News. How are you doing, Drake?
1: Doing pretty well. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing, doing good. So, we take a slightly different tack in this week's podcast. Rather than review the news, as we usually do, we'll be talking about a feature story Drake has been working on. The question he's posed himself is whether and how China's militarization of the South China Sea is affecting commercial shipping. That's obviously a huge concern, not just for nations with coasts and claims on the South China Sea, but for the United States and other nations for whom it's an important trade route. About one third of world trade, that's $5 trillion worth, if you can get your head around that, is estimated to pass through the South China Sea each year. Now, Drake, I know your interest in this was piqued by some maps you reviewed showing the routes that ships take in seas surrounding the Paracels and the Spratleys. So has China's island building and growing presence across the South China Sea affected shipping?
1: Well, what I can tell you is the thing that piqued my interest about those maps is that if you look at the density of shipping traffic through the South China Sea, there are China's bases in the South China Sea and shipping gives them a wide berth. They go around them in the Paracels, shipping these days, you know, that's container traffic, you know, what they call dry bulk cargo, and even oil, just avoids the Paracel group of islets entirely. And then in the Spratleys, they also avoid that entire archipelago of rocks and reefs, and they actually crowd along this really narrow sea lane next to the Philippines, next to Palawan. So yes, actually, we can say that it looks like China's militarization, its base building, has at least encouraged shipping companies to give certain parts of the South China Sea a wide berth.
0: So you can see how shipping the routes it's taken in in recent years? I mean, do you see a change?
1: Yeah. So from 2012 to about 2017, that's the data that we have, we can see definitively that ships are going through the Paracel Islands less and less. The Spratly Islands, even before China's base building, they kind of always avoided the area for a number of reasons. There's just stuff all over the place. In the Paracel Islands, though, they used to go through the Paracel Archipelago much more often. They would thread the needle between what's called Lincoln Island and what's called Woody Island both of those islands were built up by China starting in 2014 into military bases and military outposts. And now we see shipping avoids that area entirely. They don't go between them. They go around the two islands entirely. So there's been a, a pretty notable shift. I couldn't quite tell you you know, what, what number of ships exactly is going around it, but there's definitely more traffic avoiding the Paracels entirely rather than going through it.
0: Now, I know the other thing that was sort of on your mind as you approached this story was that we'd had these military drills that China conducted near the Paracels, where they blocked off some area of the sea, telling international shipping that they shouldn't pass through there. And I believe that, you know, they've testified some missiles during one of those drills. So is this kind of activity disrupting shipping and trade?
1: Well, No. And not according to the experts that I talked to. You're right. This did pique my interest because those are the first two exercises that China had done off the parasails. And they cover this really wide area. And I was thinking to myself, most shipping companies operate under a very strict time schedule. Fuel costs are like half the costs that eat into their profits basically. And just having to go around a military exercise area, logically speaking, that would increase costs quite a bit. At least that was my logic. I talked to Johan Goet, who is a partner at a political risk consulting firm called Prism. He told me, well, no, that's, that's not actually necessarily true. The effects of military exercises in the South China Sea on shipping profits, shipping costs, what have you, are actually quite negligible. And Sal Mercogliano, a maritime history professor who is really good on this stuff over at Campbell University, agreed with that. He said, "You know, they actually kind of steer around these military exercises all the time, and the actual cost per ship is pretty minor."
0: So it does disrupt the routes that they take at least for a few days, but the overall impact is pretty small in the in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah, so far at least. I will say that, you know, just today, this is Friday that we're recording this, China announced new drills up in the Bohai Sea, Yellow Sea area, far along the uh, northern part of China, that are at some pretty critical ports. And China's been doing nonstop military drills, space launches, and rocket launches since at least early August. So there may be a cumulative effect. But an individual military exercise in the Paracels, individual military exercise in the Spratlys really doesn't seem to affect things all that much.
0: Because shipping companies are pretty nimble in how they operate.
1: Well, they're quite used to it at this point. I mean, that sounds weird. But no, there's military exercises all over the place, not just in the South China Sea. Various weather events. Maybe there's a piracy advisory warning in Southeast Asia. Piracy is kind of a big problem there still. So they're actually used to rerouting on a dime Um, to go around these hazardous areas, they actually factor that into their costs. So the overall effect of China's military exercises is quite minor. However, you know, if if they do this for a long period of time, and they keep doing it over many, many months, then those costs are definitely going to add up. But right now, individual exercises don't seem to have a huge impact.
0: When China does hold these kind of exercises, is it a big chunk of the ocean that's being blocked off?
1: Well, in the case of the Paracels, they blocked off about 13,000 square miles of water, so that's quite substantive to me, and it was a long and major shipping route. So, yeah, I mean, they do cordon off huge areas. The exercises that were announced today up in the Bohai and Yellow Seas, like I said, are right outside key ports and key straits that China's use in the northern part of the coast to get their goods out. So, there has to be some type of effect. But one thing to keep in mind is that these exercises usually end within a few days. I believe the first Parasol Islands drill was five days, the second Parasol Islands drill was four days. So they usually don't last that long. It's very unusual to see one that lasts a whole week and cuts off maritime traffic for that whole period over a wide area of land. So is
0: China's militarization of the South China Sea impacting commercial activities in other ways that are more significant?
1: Yes. So there are other impacts, actually. One of the things that a lot of U.S. officials note, actually, about the South China Sea is the way that China intrudes into the exclusive economic zones of its neighbors, That's actually what Johan Goet told me is the real issue, is China is sending its Coast Guard vessels, its maritime militia, its fishing boats, state-backed fishing boats, into the 200 nautical mile boundary off of other countries' coasts in the Southeast Asia area. It's literally exploiting and harassing oil rigs off of Vietnam's southernmost coast right now. And by doing that, they're actually interfering with those countries' abilities to exploit their own resources. That is having a devastating effect on their coastal economies. I mean, those areas are fish-rich, they might be energy-rich, but they cannot explore their waters safely without a Chinese Coast Guard vessel popping up, or even a Chinese Navy vessel popping up right on the edge of their EEZ. And that's been a long-standing issue brought up by U.S. officials and brought up by people I talk to that seems to be the real problem. With China's uh, behavior down there.
0: And we've obviously talked about those kind of confrontations before in this podcast, whether it's been in the waters of Malaysia or in the waters of Vietnam, right?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it happens pretty much every day. I mean, just last week, I spotted Chinese survey ships within the Philippine waters. That happens constantly. And while usually those ships would get chased out of the water, there's always a Chinese Coast Guard vessel backing them up. So you can't safely explore for oil. You can't safely send your fishermen out to those areas anymore like you used to. In Vietnam's case, they actually just detained two Chinese fishing boats in the Gulf of Tonkin that were in Vietnamese waters just last week. Those sorts of incidents are exceedingly common these days. And it's actually pushing a lot of the economic activity further and further afield to the point where it's not even safe anymore. So you're seeing this push on Southeast Asian countries where they can't benefit from their own waters. And that's something that the U.S. cited in its major policy update in early July on the South China Sea as one of the reasons why it wants to call out China's behavior more often and call its maritime claims that cut into Southeast Asian countries, EEZs, uh, illegal or unlawful.
0: You're listening to South China Sea Currents. Drake, what is China's grand plan here in the way it's developing islands in the South China Sea and, you know, more broadly in developing its naval and and commercial fleets.
1: That is a good question. And I actually put that question to Sal Mercagliano, who, as I mentioned, is an associate professor of history, maritime history at Campbell University. And he actually gave me a very interesting and thought-provoking answer that kind of shows that maybe we're thinking about this whole thing wrong. Uh, Let's listen in.
2: But I don't think we look at it commercially all the time, especially in the trade aspect. And I think that's always the overarching issue with China is trade. You know, If you go back to the 1300s when China sends this huge fleet into the Indian Ocean under an admiral by the name of Zheng He, you know, that's to exert the influence of China, show that China is dominant, they, that, that China is going to be the dominant force in the area. And then what do they do? They scrap the fleet because they don't need it anymore. They've exerted their dominance. They've secured their routes. And, and, and trade flows freely until the, the, the West appears. And and I think in many ways, China is doing a a very similar thing. You know, they're building a fleet, they're building these bases, but it's all secondary for them to ensure that the imports and exports are flowing in their economy. I mean, look what COVID-19 did to their economy in that brief little period, especially now with the floods, the Three Gorges Dam, their food supply being, you know, in such a precarious position, their fishing fleet pushing against The economic exclusion zones of Ecuador and Peru, I I mean, you see them really using the oceans to sustain themselves. They need that one coast, that outlet to,
0: to sustain themselves. Okay, that's really interesting. So he's basically telling us that we tend to focus on the military impact of China's island building and sort of assertive activities in the South China Sea you know, about obstructing U.S. military, its ability to operate in the area. But he's saying that the the more significant thing from China's point of view is the economic and logistical kind of imperatives that it sees as critical.
1: Yes, absolutely. He used the phrase, you know, regulatory void, which doesn't describe a whole lot. But basically what he's saying is China wants to secure its own lanes, its own trade routes as much as possible. And that's what the militarization really seems to be about. China is making sure that its imports and its exports off of its eastern coast, its vital trade routes, are impossible to disrupt. It's kind of a paranoid way for China to look at trade through the South China Sea. You know, We need to have a military base on each of these little islands to ensure that in case of a conflict, in case of some sort of chaos that we can't see, we will always have assets in place to kind of help make sure that our shipping still goes through. And on the commercial sea power front, he brought up a lot of statistics that were very interesting to me. Out of the top 10 biggest ports in the world, nine are in Asia, seven are in China. China is a major shipping power. Some of the biggest shipping companies in the world, like Costco and Ukil, O-O-C-L, are based in China and Hong Kong. This is actually one of the dilemmas that I put to both of the people I talked to about, you know, why would China interrupt trade to the South China Sea when they benefit the most from it, actually? And Sal says, yeah, no, that's exactly the point. China does not want to disrupt shipping. They want to ensure their own shipping does not get disrupted. And he also put some other facts to it to me. You know, every single country has a merchant marine that is supposed to make sure their shipping goes on uninterrupted during wartime. China has one of the largest merchant marines in the world, the second largest, he said. Every other country like the U.S., Germany, what have you, has kind of given up on a merchant marine as a necessity. They kind of take free trade for granted. So the U.S. doesn't really have a merchant marine at all anymore. That was something that I think was very thought provoking. And he put the question of, you know, who is the better sea power when you look at that? If all of the biggest ports, all of the biggest merchant fleets are in China then doesn't that make a pretty strong argument that China is actually the better commercial sea power than the US, which is who people traditionally think is? Hmm. Yeah, so, that, so good for thought.
0: It is very thought provoking. It's a kind of bigger concept of security than we usually think about. We're always focused on how the two militaries are going to fight against each other, you know, if there's a conflict. But this is thinking about how China will be able to sustain its supplies and its imports and its exports out of the country, you know, if there's a conflict.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he brought up history multiple times to kind of justify this. He said, you know, China had a massive treasure fleet under one of its, you know, pre-modern dynasties that was primarily about ensuring commercial access. Uh, It was never really even used in wartime. That wasn't really the point of it. He says, you know, if we get into a shooting war, the U.S. Navy arguably is the more powerful force, but we're not in war right now. You know, this is about trade. The US position has always been, we are the guarantor of the waters. Uh, We believe that free trade and free shipping is a right afforded to everybody. So we would never interfere in shipping. And I think China just plainly doesn't trust that. And that's not just a cultural, but it's like a strategic point of view that I don't think the US and China could ever really see eye to eye on.
0: Right. So what does this mean for not just the US, but for other countries? Does China's grand strategy pose a threat to the security of other nations and their abilities to trade and operate in the South China Sea?
1: Well, as we're already seeing, China is interrupting their ability to fish safely and harvest energy resources or any other resources safely, even within their own maritime boundaries which are set by international law so china's already disrupting that as we're seeing with you know a country like indonesia china's base building in the south china sea has given it a permanent presence on indonesia's maritime border it's basically a neighbor to indonesia now which is bizarre but now that you see this conception by china that the south china sea is its maritime territory it's acting like it borders up against indonesia it's it's very very odd Um, One of the things that I'm looking at these days is China has a new maritime traffic law that it has adopted, which says that its Coast Guard should pursue any suspect ship in jurisdictional waters. And its jurisdictional waters seems to include the entirety of the South China Sea. So you might actually start seeing Coast Guard ships and Marine police ships deployed to the South China Sea more often to chase down neighboring countries' vessels just to search them, or just because—I mean, the the level of offense here is so wide-ranging. They could have the wrong permits for fishing. They could be suspected of smuggling drugs or whatnot. So you see, China definitely securitizing the area more and more and more, bringing in more legal bases to interdict. You're seeing them put in more effort into staging ships and air force assets there more often. It's a uh, it's a lot, and I think in the near future, it's only going to increase as trade becomes more precarious. I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic really hurt China's economy, and it primarily hurt it because it stopped shipping cold for months. You're going to see more paranoia about how to securitize and secure those shipping lanes going forward.
0: Yeah, you can understand why China's neighbors are becoming spooked by its growing presence and starting to make noises in the diplomatic realm on, on this issue. Drake, thank you very much for talking us through your reporting on this, what sounds like a great story, which uh, we plan to publish early next week. You'll be able to see that on rfa.org and banarnews.org, where you can also catch up on previous podcasts. Or alternatively, you can search on Spotify or iTunes for South China Sea Currents. If you've got any questions or feedback, Please email us on South China Sea, that's all one word, at RFA.org, or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is DRM underscore long. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banan News. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you
2: for listening, and please join us again.